Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Drinking Well, a podcast by Berry Brothers and Rudd with me, Hannah Crosby. We're delighted to be recording our second series right here in our historic home in St. James's. Together, we'll be uncorking and discussing the wines our experts have pilled from their own collections, each from a wine region you may not have discovered, but undoubtedly deserves to be on your radar. This week's episode takes us over the equator to South Africa, a country often associated with producing high volumes of ready-to-drink wine. However, over a bottle of 2005 Columella by Sardi Family Wines, Adam Holden and Victoria Bull from our buying team will reveal the hidden complexities of this emerging fine wine region. Victoria, Adam, thank you so much for sitting down with me to discuss why we should all be collecting South African wine. Victoria, your role as buying assistant usually has you overseeing French wine, but in recent years you've become quite evangelical about South African wine. What was it that drew you to the region? Well, I think there is so much interesting wine coming out of South Africa at the moment and has been for ages. For example, the wine we're going to be um, tasting today is from Mm -hmm. 2005 and it will be super interesting to see what it's like today. But I have become really interested with South African wines um, over the past few years because I think it's it's a region that I was steadily introduced to mm. through um, my time in the wine trade. You know, I was instantly drawn in perhaps by the more obvious regions. As I got to know about South African wine, I was like, this is a wonderful region with the merging of a really interesting history and then also with kind of the modern wines that are coming out of it and the new styles that are being created, the really interesting people behind the new wines. And I think there is so much to tap into and also so much that is going to be unlocked in the future as well. Can't wait to delve into it a bit more. And Adam, with over, is it 15 years at Barry Brothers and Rudd? One of the most familiar faces around the office. Could you give us a brief lowdown on how your career has progressed here? Gosh, well, I, I started in 2007 as the manager of the shop when the shop was at 3 St. James's Street as opposed to the new shop at Pall Mall. I think I was the youngest ever manager of the shop. Really? I started when I was 26 and um, I was the first external appointment they ever made. So everyone else who'd ever been appointed to the role had come through the ranks. So someone took a bit of a gamble on me. Luckily, I think it's paid off. They've kept me around. <laughs> so um, hopefully that's a good sign. And yeah, then I worked, I did, I worked on the trade side of the business for quite a few years. Um, and that was really, I suppose, where most of my exposure to the sort of the modern South African wine came from. And, um, you know, as Victoria sort of alludes to, it's, it's just it's become one of the most fascinating regions for wine production anywhere in the world. And in a, almost in the same sort of way as Spain has, it's had this sort of modern renaissance after, you know, a very, very difficult um, historical backdrop mm. and you've got the same sort of energy and youthful uh, feel to it and as we talk about these sort of young winemakers they're not really young anymore they're all mm-hmm. going grey around the temples but <laughs> and I think now we're really starting to see that um, as they mature the the, um, the market itself and the wines are starting to sort of mature as well. 
Today I work for Barry Rose and Rudders in an unusual role of director to the chair's office. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm responsible to Lizzie Rudd, our current chair. And I spend, uh, basically spend all of my energy trying to, trying to focus on the things that are most personally important to Lizzie and the family. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of work on sustainability, philanthropy, um, mm-hmm. with some ambassadorial duties. Very cool. Well, just to talk a little bit about the beautiful room we're recording in. Before we started recording, Adam had a lot to say, so hoping we can get a bit of it recorded. We are recording in the director's dining room. It's absolutely gorgeous. Adam, could you tell us a little bit about its history? Yeah, so this room is thought to be one of the best remaining examples of of what is known as a Georgian bachelor's dining room. Okay. Which is, I know it's a bit long-winded, but effectively the rooms around and above us in the Georgian era, long before they were offices, would have been um, apartments, lodgings, Mm -hmm. effectively. So you'd have this sort of gaggle of Beau Brummel-type figures who would have a room here, and in the evening they would gather for supper in this room, so hence Georgian bachelor's dining room. And in fact, I believe, I've been told that in the 1980s, the director of the Victoria and Albert Museum had lunch here Mm -hmm. with Mr. Rudd, a former chairman, and was so impressed by the room that they tried to buy it. Um, okay. with, with the idea was that they would take it apart piece by piece and rebuild it in the museum as as an exhibit. Wow. Now, fortunately, I don't think there was any ever any danger of Mr. Rudd saying yes to that, but mm-hmm. luckily he didn't, and, and it's still here today. Everything is original apart from the ceiling, which caught on fire during the war and has been replaced with, with Cuban mahogany. Mm. So back to South African wines, you've kind of alluded to this really big shift that's happened in the last couple of decades. Winemaking has undergone a serious change. What kind of shift are we seeing? To understand modern South African wine, you've got to look at the historical context of mm. it, really. I mean, we, we talk about South Africa as being a new world country, which I think probably you would both agree is a little bit patronising. Yeah. They were making wine long before Berry Brothers and Rudd came about in, <laughs> in 1698. And uh, Van der Constance from, from Constantia was one of the great wines of the world and was appreciated by all the courts of, of Europe. And they were making that while the northern Medoc was basically still underwater mm-hmm. before the Dutch civil engineers came and and drained it that was kind of you know very very sort of rich beginnings to south african wine but it all went a little bit wrong from the mid-19th century onwards and in the early 1900s in in the face of sort of falling grape prices and this sort of uh, wine lake that was it was literally they would be pouring wine into into rivers because they had too much of it you had the cooperative kwv came into being and that was not an organization that was really built on the principle of producing Mm -hmm. quality there were a few standard bearers um before 1994 so the year the year before you were born i think um when when (laughs) when nelson nelson mandela was released and apartheid came to an end up until that point it was all cooperative Mm-hmm. Um, with a few people waving the flag for quality wine like Mirlust and Cannoncop and, and people like that. So mm-hmm. it was only really from 94 that the South African wine industry started to take the shape that we know it today. These winemakers who were studying at Stellenbosch uh, University would then go off around the world and go to places like Bordeaux, etc. Came back with all these great ideas and that was when Evan Sadi, who who started um, out on his own in 2000, um, you know, really kind of led that charge. Mm. And that was the birth of the mm. of the wine industry that we know today. With just 17 barrels. Just 17 barrels, wow. yeah. 
So, Victoria, we challenged you, speaking of, we challenged you to bring along just one bottle to help us better understand everything great about South Africa's new approach to winemaking. What are we going to be drinking? So this is a bottle from Eben Sadi. It is the 2005 vintage of Columella. So I recently bought this from BBX. Super excited to try a bottle because I haven't opened a bottle yet of this one. I also like the name because Columella is one of the oldest, most important writers on viticulture. So he from really? 4 AD, I think 478 AD, one of the oldest Latin writers. So quite a nice kind of connection there. Mm. This is would have been Evan Sardi's fifth vintage. He had a very interesting approach to winemaking. So the first 10 years of his career, a kind of, he approached winemaking completely differently to his second 10 years, with the first 10 years being more dominated by oak, say. So mm-hmm. I think this one's 60% new oak for 24 months. Mm-hmm. Whereas the second 10 years with a different kind of weather conditions as well, they're obviously dealing with quite harsh climate change conditions. He um, has taken a kind of more lighter approach and lets the grape kind of do the talking. So this one, I read a quote somewhere that he said the first 10 years he made wine like coffee and mm. the second 10 years he made wine like tea. Um, with coffee being a bit more brewed, a bit more stewed. So this wine, I'm expecting it to be quite kind of powerful with strong, I'd say kind of quite meaty, quite licorice mm-hmm. those kind of flavours. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll find out anyway. Well, Exciting. Well. This is very generous of you. Thank, Thank you ever so much. much. Oh, not at all. I'm absolutely no. thrilled to be sharing it with you I mean, all. So. It's a little bit early, but you know, I'm, I'm happy to take one for the team. <laughs> yeah. So this is quite, quite an interesting approach that he's taken. Like, not Don't change anything for 10 years. Exactly. And then review what the impact is and what. So we should be able to see quite a clear shift between the style of the wine in those first 10 years and then in the subsequent 10 years. There exactly. should be a real shift between them. Yeah. Let's get tasting. Absolutely. Yeah. Cheers. 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 Oh, wow. That, that smells phenomenal. Mm. <laughs> wow. Maybe we should have asked Chef to do us a ribeye steak or something. <laughs> <laughs> a light lunch. Yeah, some, uh, <laughs> some borvorscht on the, yeah. on the braai or something Exactly. Like yeah. So this wine is mostly Syrah and Mourvedre. Yeah. And I think nowadays he is, which is another really exciting thing that he does, is focus on more kind of indigenous varieties of his region. So he has lots and lots of different kind of red varieties now, I think, in his current blends. There might be a few more. And it's the same that goes for his white wines. It's well-known white is the Palladius, which is a blend of 11 grape varieties. Mm. And he loves to see, sort of sees wine as an example of the appellation mm-hmm. and the terroir. So you take the grapes that are in that appellation and you use them and you use them to the best of their ability. Every, and he says, every grape gives something to mm. the blend, as does the terroir that the grape has grown on. He really focuses on where he is in Swaziland, has many different terroirs, kind of, you've got terroir from Spain, you've got kind of the equivalent red soils from Australia, all coming into the blend mm. and giving it some character. Just to give our listeners an idea of what we're smelling and tasting. I think it's going to really come alive with a bit of air. But yeah, I, that's right. I think it just needs a um, bit of time. I mean, it's a real, I have to say, it's a real treat to taste this because this is really exciting. these are not easy <laughs> wines to get a hold of. No. And they, they sell out on allocation really quickly. And to have something mature is 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 a real, real treat. I think you had the Palladius recently with 
did you get to try that at dinner? Yes, a couple you were talking ago? about a wine that you'd had recently. Yes, exactly. I had the. I was lucky enough to try the 2018 Palladius, the the white wine, and it was very difficult to get hold of. So yeah. it was a real treat to try, and it was just yeah, it was wonderful. Mm. It had such with the 11 grape varieties. I think it is Chenin Blanc focus, but it has other grapes, you know, Colombard and various other ones from the area, and. It has such texture, complexity, so it, it would pair very well with food and, you know, wonderful acidity from the Chenin Blanc and just bags of character. It was mm. a real treat to try mm. it. And this, you know, 2005 Columella, I mean, it's no doubt this is a big wine. Um, there's definitely elegance, sort of, you know, you're left with a sense of elegance, but the mm. initial... In the, the sort of initial impression is definitely one of power. They've just published a sort of 20-year review, haven't they, which we've both sort of been, been poring over, but... Mm. In the 2005, he has said that it, the fruit is just starting to dry out and mm-hmm. it's time to think about kind of drinking it maybe over the next five years. I think it's yeah. such useful advice mm, because absolutely. sometimes the temptation is to sort of spend a bit too much time just looking at your wine. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe, you know, you need someone to yeah. give you a bit of a hint that you should be actually opening it and, and enjoying it. And I think this exactly. is, this is, I think we'll see it really open up over the next mm. hour or so but you just you already get that sense of the incredible complexity in this glass and, and the concentration as well yeah because that's you know the old vines in south africa are so unique mm. obviously but yes you've previously mentioned yeah. we've chatted about this one you've mentioned someone called rosa kruger who's yes quite important in maintaining these older vines right exactly so she's um very well known kind of vineyard manager and viticulturalist and she is absolutely passionate about these old vines and protecting mm. these old vines. And so she has worked with various, um, sort of all of the well-known wine producers from South Africa, really. And she worked with Eben Sadi when he was starting out to kind of pick out the vines to see which ones would work for his style of wine. And she really wants to kind of protect these old vines that, that produce the most concentrated grapes because they, yes, they've been, they have been living for so long and also as we were saying earlier actually we mentioned that they are very good for the environment because they capture lots and lots of carbon she wants to stop them being dug up which happens because you know they're being planted for citrus trees or grains or things that produce more of their Mm -hmm. product but she was a real pioneer in kind of bringing back these old vines to life Mm -hmm. and also these old indigenous grape varieties that otherwise might have gone extinct and I think it always keeps that's what keeps the wine world moving and changing is bringing out these old grape varieties and where it's like it's the lovely combination of old world and new world really Mm. is what you find in south africa yeah so the yeah the old vines is is very significant i mean once they're gone they're gone right yeah exactly and i think you know trying to make a living making wine from them is is pretty tough so Mm. as you've sort of said people are not just old vines but vines in general they're disappearing and people are planting more profitable crops things that are easier to make a make a living from so it's a little bit of a a technical aspect but as the vines get older they produce less grapes of greater concentration right so that's what you were saying this wine i think the yield for this wine is something between sort of 10 and 16 hectoliters per hectare so the amount of juice you get per hectare of land 
and that is tiny. Mm. Even Grand Cru Burgundy, you'd expect to get 25 mm. to 30. The level of return, the amount of juice that you get is really, really tiny. Um, and hence you get all of that concentration and that quality. So it's definitely, it's to be, a, it's to be celebrated. Uh, so Rosa works as well with another one of uh, the producers that we work closely with, which is uh, Malinu. So yes. yeah, so she's the, she, she's the vineyard manager at Malinu. Yeah. Again, a Swartland estate really with a focus on terroir, you know, the soil and the place, I suppose, the yeah. sense of place mm. and, and old vines. And also turning around the perhaps misconception about Swartland wines and how yeah. they originally just produced these vast quantities. I think they still do produce a lot, but of kind of maybe your bargain white wine, yeah, yeah. but actually they now have sort of want to kind of reevaluate the people's opinion on mm -hmm. the wines that come out of them and actually out of Swartland that can be of incredible quality yeah. and good yeah. value. I, mean, well. I remember when I, when I started in the trade in 2003 and we were still selling wines from KWV, um, the, the cooperative, and Swartland was regarded as a place that you got bulk wine from. Yeah. And so it was really only, Eben was definitely a pioneer. Lots of people have, have followed suit. But it was only really as the results of those enterprises started to show through that first decade of the millennium that people started thinking, oh, you know, South Africa is not all about Stellenbosch when it comes to quality. Um, mm -hmm. It's not all about Franschhoek. Swartland is actually a, a really quality region. And I think people took a bit of persuading initially yeah. to, take, to take it seriously. And Victoria, did you say that you recently had a South African Pinot Noir? Is that right? Yes. So it was actually the first South African wine that I had that I was like, wow, this is really quite, this is quite a wine, this mm -hmm. is quite a region. And it was when I was quite new at Berry Brothers and I was helping at an event and I had to pour two Pinots that kind of compared. So one was a Richard Kershaw Pinot Noir from Elgin and the other one was an ABC Pinot. I had never really had anything quite like it. I, was, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. And it was just this beautifully kind of floral, aromatic wine, but with this kind of intensity and complexity beneath it. And I think I suppose up to then I had this, pre this preconception to mm. um, South African wines and I wasn't expecting something so cool and refreshing mm. and classy from this wine. And it's from, yeah, Richard um, Kershaw, who's the South Africa's only MW. Mm -hmm. I think he's originally English from Sheffield. And oh, quite a move. Yes, I know, <laughs> it's quite a difference. And he's Elgin, so it's kind of the other side of the Western Cape on the Eastern side. And it mm. is where you've got these lovely cooling influences coming in from the coast. Lots of different altitudes and a very strong diurnal swing. So it means you have very hot days, but cool nights. Mm -hmm. So. The, you can ripen the grapes but then keep the acidity because of the cool evenings and it just produces these wonderfully cool sort of clean refreshing pinots it was really just delicious mm. and from then on haven't really looked back well let's yeah. go back a bit you kind of alluded to ageability and long-term storage when it comes to south african wine it's not usually south african wine isn't usually the first thing that comes to mind when we think of like long-term storage but as you were saying like this wine that we're drinking it had the potential I think it was to age for a total of over 20 years or something only eight more but 20 in total is that something we're seeing across the board Adam? I don't think it's fair to say across the board but mm. um, at the quality end of the spectrum 
there's no doubt the wines have got great ability to great ability to age. I mean, I, I first visited South Africa in I think it was 2012. Absolutely fell in love almost the moment mm. I got off the plane. It's such a such a beautiful place. Traveling around then through we did Constantia and Stellenbosch and Franschhoek. It seemed like anyone who had a big house and a big garden had planted vines and started making <laughs> wine. And um, wherever we went, everyone would have their sort of prestige cuvee. And the only criteria seemingly for these prestige cuvées was that they let the grapes almost over ripen. So they were really sweet um, and almost had that sort of dried fruit, dry sort of pruny character about them. And that they had to go in French oak, all new for 24 months, regardless of, of, uh, <laughs> of, of how good the juice was. And these, I mean, they were charging very handsome prices for these wines and they were simply not good. And I really feel in the last 10 years, there has been a, a real understanding that, you know, you've got to pull back a little bit and, and get some elegance into the wines. And, and I think we're probably entering a phase now where there will be more South African wines that have greater longevity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we don't necessarily have the track record yet to, to, to really judge. Eben Sadi is a, is a really good case in point because after his first 10 years of making this wine, he, he reviewed and he made some changes which were about pulling back and introducing more elegance into the wine. So picking a little bit earlier to keep the alcohol down, using a lot less new oak. So I think he's gone from between 40 and 60 to sometimes as low as 10% mm. with the idea that now as elsewhere in the world what they're trying to do really is express the place mm. rather than make a Syrah or make mm-hmm. a Chenin it's about expressing the place mm. which is you know the sort of more European philosophy I suppose in, in terms of making wine so yeah I mean as we keep saying it's a very very exciting time for South African wines and mm. I think that we're going to see more and more uh, Im- impressive age-worthy wines coming out of South Africa. Victoria, I want to put a pin in something that you said earlier. Mm. You said one of the reasons you love South African wine is because it combines the old world with the new world. What do you mean by that? So I think that you've got the wines being made from these old vines that, I mean, some were planted at, you know, hundreds of years ago, Mm -hmm. but they have the ability to make these wonderful new wines, Mm -hmm. which these up and coming or fairly now fairly quite established winemakers are creating using their new approaches to winemaking and viticulture and you know and also how Eben Sadi has changed his style of making wine halfway through to kind of adapt with trends and what people want but also with what he wants to create from these these vines and the kind of materials he has he very much says that he's not interested in how to make wine he is interested in the vines and protecting them and making them produce the best grapes possible using the best methods for the environment for the land for everything it's come through quite a lot i think south african wine as well how with the the fall of apartheid you kind of almost immediately saw these new wines being mm. created or the st- or starting up the wines that are coming out are so exciting and definitely ones to watch and constantly changing and are new and they've been through a lot recently as well how it was the ban during you know they had how, I can't remember how long it was actually well, during, yeah, so since, they didn't since March 2020 when yeah. all, all of this uh, kicked off they've had a total of 20 weeks where yes. they've not been allowed any alcohol sales in South Africa wow. yeah. um, which is extraordinary yeah, and yeah. it's 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 hit them it's yeah. hit them very hard uh, Alex Weibel who owns 
Constantia Glen, just just outside Cape Town. I was surprised to learn that most of their sales are actually domestic. Um, a lot of these places also do very well on sort of events. They all have tasting rooms and restaurants and so on. So they've all been hit really very, very hard indeed. So, I mean, I suppose that that's a, a, a bit of a battle cry for us to get out there and buy some salad. Yeah, exactly. To sort of yeah. Do our part. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Play our part and have a nice yeah. glass of something in the yeah. process. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's been a very difficult time. Prior to that, of course, there's three, three years, three consecutive years of drought. And, yeah. you know, almost every year you get these wildfires yeah. sort of sweeping through. So it's, it's More extreme p- weather. pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, you'll be pretty committed. Um, yeah. the, the economic landscape for, mm. for um, winemaking in South Africa is, is not a pretty one. You really know that if people are doing it, and particularly if they're doing it as well as we have in our glass now, yeah. there's, a, there's a passion there that um, sort of trumps everything else in a way. Exactly. Well, to give listeners a good idea about what South African wines they should be drinking, um, we've talked at length about your love for Saudi family wines and Constancia Glen. But are there any other producers that collectors should keep their eye out for? Of course, I've already mentioned the Kershaw wines, which Richard Kershaw, I think they can't be um, avoided if you mm-hmm. want to really delve into the wines of South Africa. Of course, there are other um, wonderfully interesting producers like Storm. Their Pinot is something I've tried recently, which is delicious. Sons of Sinai, super interesting wines that are kind of yeah varied. If you want to come have something like a little, slightly little bit different, I think those are the ones that I have come to my attention and that I know about. Wonderful quality, but again, just not going to break the bank. Mm. Something that has got so much expertise that goes into the glass. You're delving into, as I say, all this history and this political world, and it has so much more to it than just the kind of wine in your glass, I mm. think. Not to get too philosophical, I mean, just about <laughs> a glass of wine, but still. Yeah. Well, wine's a romantic product. We yeah. shouldn't we shouldn't um, be unromantic about yes, it, I don't think. Exactly. You know, we can yeah. definitely wax lyrical about it. Well, for me, apart from banging the drum for Constancia Glen so mm. much so that I think you might be forgiven thinking I was on the payroll. But <laughs> I absolutely, I love the wines of Constantia Glen. And mm. the first place I tasted when I went to South Africa in 2012 was Constantia Glen. We had only just started working with them then. And I hadn't, I don't think I'd had an opportunity to taste the wines. And when I tasted them, I thought, wow, this is what South Africa can do. Um, because the wines are so elegant and um, very much informed by Alex Weibel's personal taste. He has very European tastes. I would definitely, I would make a case strong case for Molyneux as well mm-hmm. um, Chris and Andrea yes, are definitely. amazing um, um, yeah. lovely people and what they've done is, in, is incredible and they have this mm-hmm. fantastic terroir series where they have a um, Syrah and Chenin which represent granite uh, vineyards schist vineyards and iron vineyards and when you try them side by side it's a mm-hmm. it's a real revelation it's mm-hmm. kind of a quite an exciting journey to go on those I think would probably be my two my two top tips and Richard Kershaw. Yeah. I can't emphasize enough. Mm-hmm. Buy Richard Kershaw's wines. Yeah. They are magnificent. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Thank well, you. just to round things up, Victoria, if I had to press you for just one thing, what would you say is the most enthralling thing about South African wine? It's what is coming out of South Africa today. And I would say it's their focus on their own grape varieties and their own way of doing things. They're not really playing to anyone else's drum. They're just doing what is best 
they see what the potential of the terroir, the potential of the grapes and of the vines, and they are making the very, very best wines that come from them. And the results are, I think, are amazing. And Adam, could you give listeners just one reason why they should take the time to understand and enjoy the world of South African wine? 2005 Columella. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> It's really opened up. Yeah, it's really, really, really It's got beautiful, this lovely, yeah. savoury, peppery character, but still, but, but there's plenty of fruit. Yes, actually, it's, it's, still... it's still, it's got a real brightness to it, actually. And yeah. as, as it's opened up, I think that slightly brooding character that was there, it was all dark fruit, has mm. lifted slightly. There's a bit more red fruit and a slightly kind of like a floral high note going on. I mean, I suppose, you know, the thing about South Africa is if you want an adventure mm-hmm. in wine then South Africa is one of the most exciting most yeah. dynamic places uh, in the world it is confusing because they're only really just kind of finding their way and refining their understanding of different terroir and different areas but it's endlessly exciting because people keep discovering stuff mm. and starting new incredible things so I think it's um, it's, a, it's a sort of wine adventurer's paradise really and I would thoroughly, thoroughly recommend going there because it is an it is a, a mm. absolutely brilliant place to visit. Well, Adam, Victoria, all that remains for me to say is thank you so much for sharing your South African wine knowledge with me in these beautiful surroundings in St. James's. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Drinking Well, a podcast by Berry Brothers and Rudd. If you'd like to browse the producers mentioned in today's podcast and see what wines we have available, visit bbr.com forward slash podcast. Or if you're interested in starting your fine wine collection with Berry Brothers and Rudd, all the information you need can be found on bbr.com forward slash collecting. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode or you've been enjoying the podcast in general, do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We hope to welcome you back soon. But until then, thank you again for listening to this episode of Drinking Well.